This episode of the Check Out This Record podcast is brought to you by GuitarExclusive.com. Visit now for buying guides, reviews, and more. GuitarExclusive.com. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Rock, Rock, Rock and Roll Podcast. Check out this record. My name is Frank, and with me is my good buddy, Mark. Hey, hey, Frankie. Oh, hello, dear listener. I didn't see you there. Tell me, is that a smartphone in your pocket, or are you just happy to hear our voices again? Oh, they're happy to hear our voices again, Mark, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music Podcasts, and you can see these mugs right here on YouTube. But when do we release this wonderfully charming little podcast? Great question. Thanks for asking. Fortunately for you, we drop new episodes every Friday for your listening. And you better believe for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> yeah. if, you're, if you're hearing us for the first time, well, then you're probably not annoyed with one of our past reviews. So welcome. Welcome. Give it to Give it time. You'll get annoyed with us. Give it time. Check out the Great Van Fleet episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we review records track by track, and we have lots of musical discussions. We spotlight. Uh, we do spotlight episodes, which might even include some rock and roll mysteries. And we've only scratched the surface, and we're just getting warmed up. Now, be sure to check out our verse series, where we'll pit two bands or albums or songs against each other and make them duke it out for what we like to call total Stereo. See, the, the motion is what did it there. I think next time uh, I have to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you can try that. Uh, I don't know if your cheeks jiggle the way mine do. <laughs> That's what really gets it. You get that air pocket between the jiggling. Yeah, and the I heard and then the, the, air. the fat of my cheeks just helps to just push <laughs> the air around. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it looked, <laughs> looked stress relieving too, but <laughs> so be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, hopefully this will leave you wanting more of our musical goodness. Mark's random nonsense, as we just heard. But if you have a record you want us to check out, uh, drop us a comment wherever you find us while you're li- while you're at it. Like, subscribe, give us a review and a rating. So, Mark, I'm going to say this to you. How do you like your blues? Do you like it scrambled over easy al dente? All joking aside, I know you're a big blues fan. So how did you come across one Mr. Joe Bonamassa? Yeah, I I wouldn't personally describe myself as like a big blues fan. I do have a great appreciation for the style, and I've been fortunate enough to see some really great blues acts in my life. Uh, But I really haven't dedicated the time to them to call myself a big blues fan. I do just cannot express the my appreciation for the gift the blues gave us in all of its mighty forms of rock and roll that have come out of it. Uh, Joe Bonamassa has been a name that, that I've, I've seen around and I've heard it played in some of the kind of cooler, darker, smokier bars I like to visit from time to time. Now, typically those aren't uh, bars that people would think of as cooler, but if you like a good dive bar like I do, check them out. Uh, anyways, so I hadn't really taken a listen to any one of his full albums until today. And I got to tell you, this made for a cool experience. An artist like Joe Bonamassa is a tricky one to dive into because his body of work is so vast and just well-respected across the board. 
but I feel like you really picked a cool one for us to, to dip our toes into, if you will. How about you? How'd you come across old uh, Joe Bonamasso? Yeah. Uh, so, so for me, uh, you know, his name kept popping up in random conversations and in, you know, mm-hmm. typical modern day technology world or devices knew this. So I kept, uh, he kept getting flashed across my screen. Right. Uh, and of course, Right off the bat, I was in total awe of his amazing guitar skills. Uh, last year, he was also featured on Dion's latest album. Uh, so he's been someone I've been wanting to explore more, and I'm glad we were able to, to do it on this episode. Um, so let's do a quick history, shall we? So Joe Bonamassa, uh, born in upstate New York, and he started playing guitar at four years old, and his father exposed him to the likes of Clapton and Jeff Uh, At 11, he was mentored and trained by one Danny Gatton, known for his combining of blues and jazz. And at age 12, Mark, he opened for B.B. King. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it, right? You reach your pinnacle, I'd say. You could call it a life after that. Um, At 18, he was playing in a band called Bloodline with, check this out, the Sons of Miles Davis, uh, your favorite, Robbie Krieger from The Doors, Mm -hmm, (laughs) And, mm -hmm. and Barry Oak. Uh, Oakley, whose uh, father was in the Allman Brothers. Uh, in 2000, his debut album uh, came out and was released. And after that, really, he's just had an onslaught of releases. And the one we're looking at, Mark, is 2009's The Ballad of John Henry, which is his seventh studio album. Uh, Mark, you're slapping this album on and you're listening to it in its entirety. And again, as the person who's more familiar uh, with blues here, what are you digging? What are you not digging? Talk to me. Yeah, well, so as the resident blues uh, fanatic, as I think you would probably describe me, yes, um, there isn't much not to like here, Frank. Uh, I'm sure there are those who will say he's got better work on other albums, or that there's a quality chance. Eh, I'd say there's a quality chance that maybe that's true, right? Because this is really for both of us. Right. Uh, the the first step we took, and um, look, I, I, I'm sure people have problems with this record. I'm not one of them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but that said, uh, you know, taking a look at this record alone, it just it just stand up, stands up so beautifully. Um, it it does a wonderful job of playing, you know, homage to those older blues guitarists that came before, uh, and exploring what it means to play blues in you know the late two thousands right. um, without giving up too much of the ghost on how I feel about this album at this point. <laughs> I'll just say this: if you normally don't listen to an album before Frank and I talk about it. I highly recommend checking this record out um, for some of those like really interesting uh, parts and changes and solos that we're kind of, we're going to get into and you're going to be like, what are they talking about? It'll be a lot easier on this record if you've heard it. Cause yeah. it, it, trust us, you know, that we're not fantastic at describing things all the time. And this guy's super talented and we're not going to do him justice. Right. Uh, even though we're trying our best. So uh, go ahead and pause this. We'll wait. How long should we wait? Let's just give him a few more seconds. Okay. Okay, we're back. Hey, Frank, you want to jump into the ballad of Johnny John Henry? <laughs> yes, and him too. All right, man, let's get right into it. So, first track, the ballad of John Henry. Uh, what a ripper that that kicks us off here. It, it's the the mystique of the legendary uh, folklore mixed with like this progressive rock sound that I found totally intriguing uh, from a songwriter's perspective. I like how he quiets it down and gives us like these old timey verses to match the folklore. Uh, and then he brought it right back up. It's a very big sound and it's like a, it's a great marriage of rock and blues. Uh, I was totally impressed. Mark, uh, were you impressed by this as I was? 
Yeah, I, I really was. I love that the song feels like it's marching out of a field, uh, or excuse me, onto a field of battle, excuse me, ready to just uh, lay it all down on the line. You know, uh, it's got this big bluesy swing to it. And, and I love the, the finger-picked guitar over the sound of chains being dragged along. It just sounds so cool. Uh, just to back it up, with a cool orchestral part into the cool, slow droning rhythm with this like hypnotic guitar. So there's so much going on on this that it's yeah. really kind of mind blowing. You know, we, we get a title track right off the bat, which is a, a bold move. Um, but I really like it. Just a really cool number kicks off the album and sets the tone and energy for the listener. Uh, it really leaves you going, Ooh, I cannot wait to hear what's next. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Not right there, Mark. That's the next oh. track we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's our first cover here. Uh, this by um, Samantha Brown, who's an English singer-songwriter. And since Bonamassa is a, a gear nerd, and you actually you could YouTube uh, you know, Joe Bonamassa and Nerdville, and you'll see his whole collections of uh, guitars and amps and stuff. I'm curious what his specific gear was for the song, because it has a B.B. King feel to it. So I'm wondering if if it was a Lucille-type guitar, an Epiphone, or something like that. Um, outside of the tone here, the, there's some deep soul in this song. And, and Mark, um, did, did you feel the same, or did you want the song to stop? <laughs> yeah, you know, Frank, it's definitely got that big, open, bluesy sound. And you, you've uh, come to expect out of an artist like B.B. King, right? But Joe does absolute justice to the style and the song itself both on guitar and with his vocal performance uh he's not a, a singer you're expecting a ton from right uh, but he delivers as you said frank on the soul here uh a really great number you can feel his dedication to the genre his his willingness to to keep this alive um with with how wonderfully he treats this number it, it really does feel very special uh, and to answer your question don't stop, Joey. Don't, don't stop. <laughs> don't stop. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Track three, we get Last Kiss. And oh, one more, baby. Oh, there you go. <laughs> now, the intro to the song is why I feel um, like it's an all-time great. For, for someone mm. like me who plays guitar and spends most of his time, like, you know, just playing chords and rhythm, obviously nothing to the extent of this. I've expanded my knowledge of watching this live. He's playing things like that, that seem common, but because of his um, just complete talent and he's accented them just so amazingly, it, it gives him like the spear sound. It's, it's really incredible. Uh, and the speed uh, of, of this is absolutely amazing. And, and yes, those elements stick out more than sometimes the actual lyrics and the melody. Uh, mm -hmm. But I thought this was a fantastic song. Mark, what, what says you on this? Uh, well, you know me, Frank, I'm, I'm big on lyrical content and context. I don't have any issue with with either of those concepts with uh, with Joe Bonamassa here. Uh, I'm not giving him a, a pass by any measure. I think his lyrics work really nicely here uh, and listen to the balance of his vocal delivery and how he accents it with his guitar is really impressive. It, it's such a wonderful technique. Uh, and if I may, there's no uh, excuse me, no one's slacking in in the rest of the band either. Oh. This song makes the, the band sound like a big old pink caddy just rolling down the street sturdy reliable with one hell of a set of pipes on it and oh. some serious pickup she's got drive right where it counts <laughs> and watching uh you know the, the band live too is just incredible also i mean yep. those those dudes know what they're doing so mm -hmm. it's unbelievable track four 
honestly, here's the confession. This is why I picked this album because I was familiar with this song. It's Jockey Full of Bourbon. Um, so, uh, yeah, the song's about my underwear. That's right. How'd you know? <laughs> so, it's our second cover here, and it's by Tom Waits. So, Bonamassa takes an experimental song, basically, because that's what you know the, the Waits version is, and makes it his own, which I love. He put his brand, the blues, all over this, really gives it a completely different sound but keeps the greatness of that song alive uh i absolutely loved his rendition of this mark what about you yeah i i listened to a whole album of this of of bonamassa does weights um i feel like this (laughs) song kind of got lost on one of the like a one lane highway mississippi back road somewhere and just drove like head first into a telephone pole hardwired directly to the blues um really impressive track uh, it just just such a unique take on such a unique song. Right. Uh, really interesting. Really well done. And as we mentioned before, with his um, his his kind of gentle handling of other people's music, he really um, really does his best to honor Tom Waits with this performance, and it's really gorgeous. Obviously, he's not trying to sing like him, which I loved. Right. Right. And he does a great job of wrapping the band around. How do we how do we orchestrate this number? And it just really oh, yeah. just really kills it. Definitely check that one out. Absolutely. So good. So good. And there's an acoustic live version, too, on one of his Ooh, records. Yeah. Again, sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Track five, uh, Story of a Quarryman. Uh, again, another ripping and roaring opening riff. Uh, very smooth and, and a great amount of sustain that it gives us this really punchy tone, which is great. Uh, I want to, again, add that the backing band here is so, so tight. Uh, Mark, what would you think of this tune? I, I just need to crack a beer real quick with this number. I mean, like this, it just makes me want to drink beer. It feels so good. I don't want to call this like textbook blues rock. It's it, it really is an elevation of the style and, and it's just timeless and wonderful. It's got this richness to it, uh, almost a texture, if you will, Frank, yes. just amazing. He can make his guitar sing here, uh-huh. uh, changing these sweeping solos to epic sonic climbs back into like foot thumping drive. It just feels it feels so big that just calling it blues rock doesn't really do it justice. Um, it's got that, that presence about him. You would expect out of a song about, about a quarryman. It's, yeah. it's just got that bigness to it. You, you expect to see, you know, just like the first track, you expect to see this like ogre lumbering, lumbering out at you. And the song carries that weight and that presence really beautifully done. Oh, so, so good. So good. Mm-hmm. Track six, Lonesome Road Blues, uh, a more classic blues sounding song as opposed to the, the previous tracks, I, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I hear some Billy Gibbons here, Mark. Uh, watching this live, he, he's got capo on the second fret, which shortens the neck, and that gives us some different options for him to go to on the guitar. Uh, I wouldn't say this song outside the Roaring so- Solo is like overly memorable, but not every song I think has to be on an album like this because a lot, again, are a showcase for him and for his leads and playing guitar. Uh, Mark, what'd you think about this tune? Yeah, sure. I don't think this is a bright spot on the album, uh, but it's a fun number with a great drive. And as you mentioned, uh, so just an outstanding solo. I love how this band can shapeshift into whatever uh, Joe wants them to sound like. I love that, that big organ sound here. I absolutely love that that classic uh, Hammond organ sound. Um, it just makes me feel good. I like uh, it, it. It reminds me. This is a very specific memory, Frank. 
it reminds me of going to biker bars with my dad when I was like 13 or 14. Uh, and he had no idea what to do with me. He was a recovering alcoholic. So he sat there drinking Diet Coke while I played pinball. That's what this song reminds me of. It puts me right in that smoky bar. It's so cool. Um, I, I just couldn't be happier to listen to this song because it really, it ties directly to that that memory so beautifully. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we just saw the beauty of music where it could do that, right? Yep. I mean, that, yes, that, that, no, it was it really just absolutely like, you know, you and I joke all the time when we do older albums, right? We're going to get oh. in the time machine and go back, right? This, this literally, this song transported me directly to That's the awesome. shittiest dive bars North Carolina has to offer, <laughs> right? Fold with the scummiest, sweatiest men you've ever seen. And I absolutely loved it. It was there perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, now the song to me now, like just knowing that the song is even better. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. Uh, track seven, uh, Happier Times. So this one took me a while to get into. But mm -hmm. once I did, like actually maybe one of my favorites on the album, it's an oddball track where it's not your traditional blues, nor does it even have like a rock structure to it. I mean, listen, I'll be honest, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, this could be on pop radio minus the solo. Um, it, it's it's the most vocal vocally melodic, I think, on here uh, between the, the um, and there's a clear line, excuse me, between the verses and the chorus. Mark, is, is this song taking you to a happier time? Uh, not me personally. Um, I could hear this. Uh, I think, I think to your argument, I think I could hear this on like an easy listening station, even with the solos, uh, which happened to be, um, yes, Amazing. Uh, you know, w without, you know, out of this world, outstanding is probably the best way to describe most of his solos. Um, stylistically, it drags a bit for me. Uh, and I feel like this may be, for me, one of the lower lights on the album, but really right. it, it's still a pretty high bar, even for what I think is maybe one of the lesser songs on the album. I could see where you dig it, but it's just a little too wishy-washy for me. Wishy-washy. Wishy-washy. <laughs> <laughs> Track eight is Feeling Good. So this is the mm -hmm. third cover, uh, and this song... Listen, it gets covered a whole bunch quite frequently, which is my my gripe about the song in general. If I had to pick one out uh, because I'm not the biggest fan of the song, that aside, again, Joe does what he does and he owns it. He gives the song complete new life. And to me, it's the, the best version um, that, that I have heard uh, of this song. So uh, what about you, Mark? Uh, do you like this cover or are you getting covered out by, you know, by the tune? I'll say this of the covers on the album. This is my least favorite, not because they don't do it justice, but because I think they're, they're a better band than they need to be for this song. Right. Right. Again, they, they totally kill it. Uh, but to Frank's point, I, I think they, if uh, I don't think they did anything uh, to make me hear kind of the song in a new way uh, as they really did right with jockey full of briefs. They're briefs full of jockeys. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Jockey full of bourbon. <laughs> Jockey full of bourbon. <laughs> I love it. Um, I could have uh, I could have just done without it. And I right. don't think it adds a whole lot to the album. Uh, I don't mind it. Uh, but for as big as this album is and sounds, it could have been a B-side. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, with so many tracks they seem to have, like everywhere, it could have been totally swapped out, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Next, we have uh, our fourth cover. And Mark, this is funkier than a mosquito's tweeter. <laughs> <laughs> and this is actually a cover from Ike and Tina Turner. Uh, and per its title, it's funky. Uh, for sure. Uh, to me, actually, this seemed like a challenge for Joe vocally, which not, isn't necessarily a bad thing because it does switch some things up. Uh, mm -hmm. Not sure if the key was something his voice wasn't used to, but again, it shows how the band could do a number of different things. Uh, mm -hmm. Mark, what'd you think about Funkier than a Mosquito's Tweeter? You know, Frank, it took a few listens, but I really like this number. It's a fun number without, uh, without doubt, but it's uh, to my... <laughs> Oh, excuse me. Uh, it's yes. a fun number, uh, <laughs> without a doubt. But to my argument about feeling good, this number challenged the band um, really well and, and made them step into a, maybe a funkier kind of uh, mindset than they would have been. You know, they really feel very confident in the sound of this. And, and that comes across, um, you know, they really pull this off in kind of a genuine way. Uh, I love how heavy he leaves the distortion yeah. on the solo and the horn second just horn section uh, just pumping him up as it goes uh, is really a treat. They're clearly putting in uh, as much work as Joe is. And it really is what makes these albums so special yeah. for as great as Joe Bonamasso is the rest of this band is what makes him shine because without them, it's just some dickhead playing over everybody right but these compositions are so well done and he really allows the band to fill the rest of that gap and the, the horn section in this in particular really made me feel that way because when you're listening to that solo and those horns are still popping like they're like they're the ones doing the solo yeah it's just it's just you're like oh this is what i go to music for right this is that catharsis i look for and it's it, they do a great job i also did you watch uh did you pull up the the original of this of i Tina doing it uh, no, I have not. It's kind of amazing. Is it? Okay. It's totally amazing. I got to check that totally out. Mm -hmm. out. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And yeah, to your point, you know, when you have the level of musicianship, as we're seeing here, they're all raising each other's bars yeah. when, they're, when they're playing. So everyone like has to play like a little bit better and a little bit better, which is, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Uh, track 10, The Great Flood. Uh, it's another song that just touches the soul, man. I mean, I, I, I mean, the song to me is like it's a masterclass on how to write like a blues song. Uh, you, have, you got great color on the tones, especially during that second solo. Uh, this is where the guitar sings, man. And I even heard a hint of David Gilmore a little bit. That was me. Uh, but Mark, what did you think of The Great Flood? Yeah, I, I love this number. Uh, the opening tolling of a bell and the, the heavy Hammond organ again. Just, uh, just amazing. His his guitar sounds like it's from a dreamscape. I don't know how else to describe yeah, it. Right. Uh, the sound here, as you mentioned, Franklin, uh, is so rich, yet almost ethereal. It's really just stunning. If you were to, to shoot a video, or I were, excuse me, to shoot a video for this, it would just be slow motion shot of a, of a bottle floating down a river oh. um, in, in a flood. Because it just feels like that. Because it's just that floating in time and space feel from a bluesy twilight zone. It's, it's just oh. stunning. I can't like, that's all I can think of with this song is stunning. Cause you just hear it and you're like, so good. Whoa. Yeah. Cause it, it kind of, it, it catches you off guard. It's really fantastic. Probably my favorite track on the album, man. That's why you're the idea, man. Cause I would love to have a video of a bottle floating down a river and, and this song playing. Yeah. Just like half a bottle of whiskey. Like, yeah. isn't that sad? Isn't that the saddest idea? Just like half a bottle of whiskey. Somebody started and can never yeah. finish oh. going away. 
Oh man. <laughs> <My whiskey. laughs> well, from the great flood mark, we have from the Valley uh, and we get this uh, acoustic uh, guitar and slide baby. And again, mm-hmm. he makes it sing. He really does. It's a very somber and subdued sound, sad tune, excuse me, without any lyrics, which is beautiful uh, to me. Like I, I just, I caught so much in it, even without it being uh, a lyrical song. Uh, Mark, do, do you like being from the Valley? I live in a swamp, Frank. We both, <laughs> we both live, live in, in a swamp, swamp Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he can uh, show his blues and soulful side right next to each other uh, with this positive feeling number after such a like bluesy number as The Great Flood. Uh, just an amazing way to balance this album, especially for how rocking, Frank, yes. it's about to get. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have As the Crow Flies. So our last song and fifth cover, um, this one by uh, Tony Joe White, who wrote Rainy Night in Georgia. Uh, Mm -hmm. We get a little swamp boogie sound to it. And again, for me, the song is all about the guitar work. Uh, Mark, do you like this as a closer? And are several covers actually on an album of blue musicians for blues musicians? Is this something that's a common occurrence, you think? Uh, I like this choice as the closer. Um, if, if you notice on Spotify, there's an additional track. Yeah, we forgot to put that in there. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, you know, but if you look at the album, the original release album, this is where it ends. So we're good. Um, that song's super cool. But I like this as the closer still. Um, you know, it's got a great heart and really personifies that blues spirit of resilience and, and tradition. Uh, five covers is probably on the bulkier side, really for any genre, uh, but it's not unheard of. A lot of what's cool about the blues is the, the tradition of learning other people's songs and preserving right. them by passing them on to the next generation in that way. Of course, with technology and access to music, you'd think covering songs would be less of a thing. But I think that history of passing the music on is more important with a genre like this uh, than with many other genres. So I absolutely love this song. Yeah. Um, I, I think they do a great job of just rocking out uh, the end of this this bad boy. And really, uh, like I said, to your question, um, it's probably on the bulkier side, but I, I wouldn't but change okay. it for the world. Yeah. I mean, right. except for we, we could pull out uh, that one. I, I would Feeling maybe, good or? Yeah, I'd pull out maybe two tracks from this whole album. There but even go. then, I'll leave yeah. them. They're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, with that said, I, I mean, your final thoughts on this record here. Sure. Frank, I think you picked a great album to listen to for Woo! taking an in-depth look at an artist uh, as complicated as Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. Uh, it's got fun rocking numbers. It's got truly soulful performances and just really scratches that blues rock itch in a way that I, I've missed for a long time. Very yeah. cool album. I'm giving this bad boy eight and a half nine out of ten um and i'd be very ha- tempted to pick this up should i run across it in a record store oh. how about you yeah so i'm glad we we're able to take an episode and dedicate some time uh, and intently listen to the magic of uh, joe bonamassa i get it now i understand the huge fan base and his praise the guy is a complete prodigy and in interviews again you could see his brain is wired and works differently and that's the trait of someone who's just an all-time great as far as this album goes I like really the super big and punchy riffs that meshes the progressive rock with the blues. I really enjoy mm-hmm. the covers, especially Tom Waits, of course. And although I could do with some, some, you know, without some of them, like you said, that's very minor in the context mm-hmm. of the album. I felt the songs were naturally great tunes, even if stripped down and others, um, 
and others needed, I think, the amazing solos to put it on another level from Joe. Again, that's not a bad thing. That's just an observation. I'm really glad we started digging around his catalog. I'm a bona fide fan. I think you are too, Mark. And I give this album anywhere between um, eight and five to nine. So similar. Yep, similar. Wow, Mark. Well, you know what? Since we're talking about the blues. Mm -hmm. And we love the Blues Brothers. We do. <laughs> Let's do our top 10 favorite Blues Brothers quotes. Five apiece. What do you think? I, I would love to. And in fairness to us and the film, the Blues Brothers, uh, yes. it's endlessly quotable. And oh. there are only a handful of lines that I don't think totally work as funny jokes on their own. <laughs> um, and like when... Like when we rank our favorite artists and albums, uh, we reserve the right to change our top 10 uh, as the mood strikes us, Frank. Yes. Uh, so to quote the old guy playing cards, you got my cheese whiz, boy. <laughs> it's like, oh, I snuck an extra one in there. You did, but that's so awesome. It's okay. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, you have to do the, the number one. That's why. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Uh, so here's mine. Number 10 mm -hmm. is... Uh, when they go to visit uh, the music shop and it's Ray Charles was there mm -hmm. and he goes 2000 bucks and it's yours. You could take it home with you. And as a matter of fact, I'll throw in the black keys for free. I always love that line where. It, <laughs> yes. Know. Excellent. Yeah. No, yeah. Ray Charles is phenomenal in that. Yeah. Uh, my number nine. Yeah. Uh, when the, when Jake and Elwood are going to uh, track down the band, they run into Mrs. Tarantino. Yes. Uh, and she says, are you the police? And Elwood, Elwood replies, no, ma'am, we're musicians. Yeah, oh, I love it. I know. I love it. So, and he <laughs> says it with such conviction. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, when they're going to get Matt Guitar Murphy, this is my this is number eight, um, where uh, Aretha Franklin's taking the order, uh, and he goes, "I'll have some toasted white bread, please." And she goes, "You want butter or jam on that toast, honey?" And he goes, "No, ma'am, dry." And <laughs> just again, <laughs> similar to the "No, ma'am, we're musicians." Uh, he just says it with such conviction. So. Uh, that's yep. number, number eight. What about number seven for you, pal? So uh, Sister Mary Stigmata, better known as the Penguin, right. uh, after the boys have been chased out of her office uh, for swearing, uh, says the following. <clears throat> you boys are such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. It saddens and hurts me to think the two young men whom I raised to believe in the Ten Commandments have returned to me as two thieves with filthy mouths and bad attitudes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and then she just like levitates away. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's the best. But, and, and I told you this too off, uh, uh, off the air, so to speak, but mm -hmm. when, uh, when she's asking Jake to repeat what he said and he's saying it and she's just sitting there and she's like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you can tell mm -hmm. she's going to whack the shit out of him. It's so mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, cause he starts going step by step. Yeah. You said it, you yeah. needed 5,000 bucks. And she's like, Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. so All good. Right. number six for me it's two words but blue Lou go he's in bobs and he goes chicken wire chicken I mean, wire i mean that just it's so fantastic <laughs> because he, he's wondering what the chicken wire is for but just the way it comes out blue Lou is a very very man of few words and he just says chicken wire loved mm -hmm. it when the girls watched it they love that line i think blue Lou is their favorite uh it's so good what about <laughs> Next one for you, Mark. So number five, right? We're, we're at the midway point of the uh, the list here. Yep. Uh, you'll remember Jake and Elwoods go to the Shea Paul <laughs> to get Mr. Fabulous, who's the maitre d'. He's the head maitre d'. Um, and while in attempting to 
coerce him into rejoining the band. They sit down and take a table uh, and on top of eating food that they absolutely cannot afford, start harassing the, uh, the guests. So, and the best fake uh, Jake Blue's voice I can do. Do it. How much for the little girl? How much for your women? What? Your women. I want to buy your women. The little girl, your daughters. Sell them to me. Sell me your children. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you catch who was uh, one of the waiters for them? Um, Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman. Yep. That's correct. Oh, love it. I knew that's where you would go with that question. Yeah, of course. Of course. And I knew where he was going, which was a movie theater. <laughs> that was much later but yeah yes. i know i know he's definitely been to at least one movie theater since filming his scene in the Blues Brothers. <laughs> all right number four is uh bert mercer which is john candy's character um he goes what car are we uh five five car five five and we're in a truck so this is when they're, <laughs> when they're chasing them at the end and they literally just fly like off the freeway into a truck and he just i love it Casually, he's like, we're in a truck. <laughs> the minute, the minute I see Elwood go, Jake, Jake, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go to the bathroom. And then he takes out that, uh, the railing to go down the side yes. of the highway. Yep. I immediately start laughing because I oh. know that that scene's coming up and so just good. the cars start piling up. And the next thing you know, it's in the air. It's in the side of that truck. So we're good. in a truck. We're in a truck. <laughs> <laughs> so casual. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark number three. Number three. So we're actually going to do uh, Burton Mercer again. He's probably got some of the least lines in the movie, right. but they're the funniest to me and uh, Frank. Uh, so the the big show is happening. All of the cops have come in. Uh, Mercer and the two highway patrolmen that are actively chasing the Blues Brothers decide to sit down and see the band because they've never even seen them play. And of course, we get this. Who wants an orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? Three orange whips. <laughs> it just makes another cop go get him. I know. It's so awesome. He's like, I want to hear them play. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I haven't even heard him play yet. I, I love it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, number two is we're back at Bob's Country Bunker. And mm-hmm. I, I even wrote a song once uh, with the title of this. But uh, he's asking, uh, I guess, Mrs. Bunker. Uh, <laughs> that sounds funny. But <laughs> excuse me, what type of music do you usually have here? And she goes, oh, we have both kinds. We have country and Western <laughs> And, mm-hmm. they, and well, it's, you can tell he's like, we're screwed. <laughs> yep. That's amazing. Uh, and then, of course, um, I, I, I picked for number one, I picked arguably the most famous iconic quote from the Blues Brothers, right? Um, it's not, we're on a mission from God. It's a, it comes up too much. In the car, after the big gig, Elwood says, it's 106 miles to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> Hit it. That's right. And that's, I mean, listen, we could do this list every week and have 10 different things. 10 different things. Absolutely. It's just amazing. So amazing. I'm so glad we were able to incorporate this into the episode. Mm -hmm. I I love what's the, the Maurice line uh, where he's talking about, he's talking about, um, he's talking about calling Maurice line to get gigs. And he goes, he got us the the show here and he got us the show there. I got him laid. He yep. owes us. He owes me. Yep. yep. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh, yeah, it is. Mate, I want to watch it now again. <laughs> mm-hmm. I watched it last night just in preparation for this. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fun, Mark. So why don't you tell everyone what we have planned next week?
first you traded the Cadillac for a microphone, then you <laughs> lied to me about the band, and now we're going to listen to the Bouncing Souls, How I Spent My Summer Vacation, which just turned 20 years old a few weeks back? Wow. Okay, yeah. So when you told me that earlier, I was just, um, I'm in awe that that thing turned 20, because I'm stoked, right. first of all, to talk about it, and just <laughs> moderately depressed that the fact that that thing is 20, because it just seemed like yesterday I was going to the CD store to get it. So, yeah. oh man, I, I can't wait. That's a good album that uh, I haven't listened to in a while, um, mm. so I'm going to give it a nice re-listen again, and I can't wait to talk about it. So, right. Are amped. you ready for next week when I when I hold my copy of it in vinyl? Up oh, do it. For you? Are you ready uh, for that? Please. It'll I happen next week. Yeah. I own it already. I just didn't bring it up for the recording. Okay. Oh, It'll come up gonna, next week. You're not going to go out and get like another copy of a different color vinyl and then... I mean, are you, are you talking about because I pre-ordered that that other leather face on clear? <laughs> oh, you did? I didn't know that that happened. Yeah, I did. I fi- I figured you just figured I did. <laughs> it's fair. It is fair. It is fair. It's fair. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We really did. I um I did. Uh, yeah, super into Joe Bonamassa <laughs> and uh, uh, he, the guy's awesome. So thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, recommend. Until then. Stay safe, everyone. Yeah. Hey, check out that fucking record, dude. Uh, and now uh, it's that time. Say it with me, folks. Oh, my, my. Oh, hell yes. Oh, bye-bye. Recording has ended. <laughs>